is Martha, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. Recently, I was having a discussion with some friends of mine about happiness and its place in our lives because who doesn't want to be happy, right? We think about those happy times that we've had in our lives and we think, can I get back to that? How do I get there again? I want more of that. And sometimes when we start down that road towards happiness, when we start asking ourselves, what would make me happy? Sometimes we find ourselves in a different place than we meant to get to. Sometimes we find ourselves asking an even broader question, and that is, is happiness something that we can actually pursue, or does it just happen? Now, to that very question, interestingly, the New York Times recently had an article called Happiness 101, and they wanted to get to the root of what makes people happy. And so a team of researchers did extensive studies about the way in which Americans typically go about finding happiness. And what they found is the way that we do it is totally wrong. You see, most, think, most people think of happiness as an experience of pleasure in a particular way or place. And that if we do more of that thing or more of time in that place, then we'll have more happiness. But not too shockingly, the researchers found that's not true. What they said about happiness is that the folks who go that route trying to find more happiness in the place that they've already had it find themselves instead on a happiness treadmill, constantly pursuing pleasures in the hopes of finding and getting more happiness. In fact, what it becomes a lot like is folks who are drug addicts. The same thing is true for happiness pursuers, like junkies who, after they experience their first high, spend much of the rest of their lives trying to experience that first high again, so true it is for us who find that place of happiness, want more of it, and so go there again and again and again. And so in order to find that fulfillment, we're constantly upping the ante, wanting more and more on that treadmill. And yet, not too surprisingly, we're not happy or fulfilled at all. In fact, maybe you're like me and you realize it kind of leaves us empty to keep that race up. Now, what was fascinating to me about the article was not that they talked about this problem, but I found their solution quite interesting as well. What they said was that the ultimate happiness in life is found when you give your life away. The researchers said that if you want to be happy, pour out your life through acts of service that I'll ultimately only be happy when I go to Interfaith or when I find some charity that I can give more money to or that if I really want fulfillment in my life, I need to find more and more acts of service to come along and be a part of some kind of greater mission, which all sounds very good and will make for a complete sermon in itself, except there's a problem, and I hope that you see it already. 
The problem with their solution is that it's self-defeating. Because if the solution is acts of service, then my acts of service are no longer means in themselves, but instead a means towards an end, which is about me and my greater happiness. So if I want to be happy, I serve more. If I want more fulfillment, I give more money. If I want to feel great about my life, I find some mission or cause that I'll be a part of. But I'm not doing any of those things because I love people or because I want a sense of honor and glorifying God. I'm doing it in this sick, twisted, self-centered way. And those acts become about me, not about glorifying God. Yikes. So what do we do with this? Well, I think it's exactly this that takes us to our gospel today. And if you haven't already, I'd love for you to turn with me uh, to the gospel lesson in the passage. And actually what I want to look at is that very last paragraph in the gospel, the one that starts with come to me. Actually, I'm going to start with the sentence right before that, but it's all on the same page. Because here in Matthew 11, we see Jesus talking about being weary, being heavy laden, about laboring. And in this context, I can tell you right now that he's talking to the religious, those who have committed themselves to following a particular system of belief. And Jesus wants those folks, which I would think includes us, to understand that when I live a life that is consistently saying through my deeds, look at me, I'm on that treadmill of happiness. Hoping that if I do these things just one more time, I'll be happy again like I was way back when. In fact, what you end up with is a lot of motion, but no movement. And ultimately, it wears you out. You get disillusioned about God. You become exhausted and eventually, you just fall off the treadmill. Today in our gospel, Jesus is offering you and I an exchange. Exchanging the yoke of the treadmill of our own pursuits of happiness for the yoke of gospel living. He's offering us movement with our motion. So I want to explore what he's saying, and I want to do so really through four words that Jesus uses today. Choose Come, take, and learn. And if you want, I would love for you to take the pencil in your pew and even underline those words in the gospel text today because they're so important because of the framework that Jesus is giving us today. As we go through them, these four words, you will discover God's plan of salvation, what he meant for us throughout human history. So let's look at the reading. That first that sentence in the, in, the, in the paragraph on that page, it says, And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And there's that first word I want to emphasize, chooses to reveal him. The next word I want you to see is, it says, come to me, so you can underline come. Next is take my yoke, so you can underline take. And finally, the last word is learn from me, underline learn. So let's talk about chooses. Jesus says, no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now the idea here in the word know, that is no one knows the Father, the idea behind that word is this uh, experiential Intimate knowledge that comes through 
relationship. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So he's saying no one can enter the sphere of God unless the Son first chooses to reveal that person to God. So Jesus first chooses us. He invites us into this relationship with him. We, of course, respond by taking, by entering into that relationship. And in fact, what we call that relationship is discipleship, following and learning from him. Yet the truth is, when we take from him and we enter into that life of discipleship, we are also simultaneously leaving something else. To take means to leave. And we see that in the previous chapters in Matthew, that is, Jesus called his disciples to take him. It meant leaving their nets, their boats, their tax booths. In order to take Jesus, we have to say, at the same time leave certain things. And I'm here to tell you personally, by way of my experience, that there is nothing in this life worth keeping that can compare to taking Jesus. That to leave things here pales in comparison to what we find when we take Christ. Because suddenly we find ourselves off that treadmill of happiness in exchange for a life of movement with Jesus. And it's the best exchange ever. There's a story told of a very wealthy man who had just one child. It was a beloved son about whom he was very passionate. Tragically, his son died at a young, young age. The man was filled with grief, and as a coping mechanism for his grief, he began to travel the world. And while he was out traveling, he bought pieces of rare art. And over the years, he amassed a very large rare art collection. Some years later, his wife would die, and as that grief compounded the grief of his, the loss of his son, soon after, he died as well. Now, according to the stipulations of his will, because there was no heir, his estate had to go up for auction. So lots of folks knew about the rare art that he had, and so they came from all over the world to bid on this man's art at his estate auction. They were ex- excited because these rare pieces hadn't been in public for a long, ch- long time, and so this was their chance to get their hands on them. So right when the auction starts, the auctioneer bangs his gavel and he says, okay, the auction's going to commence. Here is the first piece of art, and they carry it out. And it's a simple piece. It's called the sun. It's a picture of a little boy. And to be honest, it's pretty mediocre. No one had ever seen it. No one knew the author. It was unknown. And so the auctioneer says, we'll start the bidding on this piece at $5. Well... Nobody raises their hands. The art wasn't very good. Nobody knew the author. So they keep going and hoping that someone will finally bid on this. And at last, an elderly woman comes down the aisle with $5 lifted in her hand. She says, I'll take it. Here's $5. Give me the painting of the sun. So the auctioneer says, going once, twice, sold to the lady with five bucks. He then immediately bangs his gavel again and says, this auction is now over. Well, of course, the room erupts in pandemonium. What do you mean the auction's over, they cry. We came here from all over the world. We came here for the Monets and for the Picassos. That's what we're here for. And the auctioneer explained, well, according to the stipulations of the owner's will, this first painting was actually painted by the father. And the subject of the painting was his son. And so the will stipulates that whoever 
buys the son, gets it all. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. He who has the son, Jesus, has it all. And there's nothing in this life that could remotely compare to Jesus Christ. Now, I think you know that in part because that's why you're here today. And he, in fact, has chosen you to know him. That's why you showed up. That's why I want to plead with you. That no amount of status, no amount of significance, perceived happiness, or anything else can compare with that son now that he's chosen you. We have it all for those who have chosen Jesus. So how do we live that out? How do we live that in a way that actually keeps us from being weary as Jesus promises us? This is where he says, come to me. Come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is pleading with his audience and with us. Come to me. The very fact that he's offering this invitation to the religious folks of his day tells us two things. First, that the religious people, a lot like ourselves, have tried to do life without him. He's calling the religious people who have based their own righteousness outside of him. And he's saying to them, don't do life apart from me. Come to me. In his tenderness, he is beckoning them, beckoning those who know religion to come home. And he's, his way of saying, I don't care about your self-righteousness. Secondly, Jesus' invitation, yes, though it's primarily to the religious, is also much broader. So broad, in fact, that anybody who's ever been wearied, anyone who's ever been hurt, anyone who knows the troubles, trials of life and have been weighed by, down by them, Jesus says to all of them, come on. There is no trial or trouble that is too insignificant, he says. He's not too busy that your trial or trouble doesn't matter. Yes, he causes the sun to rise. He's hung all the stars in their place. And according to Colossians and Hebrews, the whole universe is held together by his words. But he's also concerned about your health crisis, about your finances, about your marriage. He says, I'm not too busy for you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Stop trying to do life without me. So choose and then come. But the third word I hope you saw was take. Take my yoke upon you. Now here's what I want you to know about yokes. A yoke is, in fact, a work instrument. It's a wooden contraption they put on animals to help that animal work with another animal. And so the entire purpose of the yoke is for work. And so here Jesus is saying, and I hope you didn't miss this, he's saying to weary people who are worn out by life, take my yoke. In other words, you got to go to work. And I love it. Because if it's me talking to weary people, I would say, take a vacation. Take a nap. Take some time off. Don't go to work. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, if you're weary, take my yoke. Because here's what Jesus wants us to understand about gospel living. Gospel living isn't the absence of burdens at all. It's not the absence of trials or traumas or tribulations. The difference between gospel living 
and pursuing a happy life is that gospel living guarantees that I am yoked to Jesus who bears those burdens with me. That's why David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. David doesn't deny that there'll be any valleys in life. But the difference for those who are believers is that we have someone to go through those valleys with us, for thou art with me, is what David says. But I hope you saw what Jesus said. My yoke is easy. And that word easy is so picturesque. Because what it really means is custom built. It means tailor made. That's what easy means. And so whenever they would yoke two animals together, they would never just take a one size fits all yoke. But instead the carpenter would go and measure the animal's neck to make a custom yoke. Because he wanted to make sure that yoke wasn't too heavy or it wouldn't be too loose or it wouldn't chafe on the animal. Instead, it was tailor-made to make sure that the yoke was easy, that the animal could bear the burden. So Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Nothing in this tells me that I've got to wait for my trial to be over to find rest. I can find rest, in fact, in the midst of the trial. That's what he's saying. I can find rest even while the storm rages around me. Why? Because I am yoked to Jesus. I'm yoked to him. I don't have to wait for some sunny day. There's not some elusive happiness that I need to achieve before I find rest. Right there in the midst of all of life, all of its storms, I can take and find rest. So choose, come, take, and finally learn, he says. Learn from me. And this is the third imperative he gives. Back to that word yoke for just one more second. You would never yoke together two different kinds of animals. In fact, for the yoke to work, both animals had to be doing the same thing at the same time. They have to be moving in the same direction and on the same page. Otherwise, no work gets done. And so Jesus is saying, if we are yoked together, you're learning from me. You've got to watch me, and wherever I go, you come with me. And if you find me standing or moving, then you need to be standing or moving, Jesus says. If you find me sitting and taking a rest, you need to be sitting and taking a rest. Learn from me, he says. Don't get ahead of me, but learn from my example. And when we are burdened by life, when you are overwhelmed by the problems that are all too common for many of us, he says to you, look at me, learn from me, gain from me strength, and you will find rest for your souls. Choose, come, take, learn. Those four words is what Jesus is saying to you today in the midst of whatever hard times you're going through. He's saying, look at the cross, and you will find rest for your souls. Whatever burdens you are going through right now, Jesus says, look at me, follow my example. You don't have to wait until the trial's over to find rest. I can offer you rest immediately right now. And that's really the offer of the gospel today. The question is, will you accept it? Will you give up on happiness? Will you get off that treadmill? Will you come and take and learn from him? 
Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge that uh, our pursuit of happiness is exhausting and misguided. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways in which we have stopped looking to you to be the source of our strength, for the ways that we stop looking at you and trying to learn from you. Help us instead to give up on our methods from stop trying to be religious people only, but instead focused on you, hungry for you, grateful that we are yoked together with you because your burden is light. Give us what we need today, Father. Help us to give up on ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you joined us on our podcast today. We hope that you will take what you've heard and share it with your community. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace. Peace.